Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.43 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 27th of January, 2020. This is episode 187. Of Bitcoin and the trust chain has been stolen for a fourth time. Number four, people, number four. And we're, I think we're well over a hundred bucks worth of Satoshis on that one at this point. Let's, let's go ahead and, uh, well, actually first, let me do just a little, a little bit of community stuff here. Um, where is my, where's my thing here? Oh yes. My own announcement. (laughs) I, I have an announcement. I have an impersonator on Telegram going under at B-E-N-N-D-7-7 because I did not take that name when I got on Telegram for some reason. It's, you know, you, name selection when you're getting on a new new platform is kind of kind of odd. But uh, yeah, I didn't take that. Uh, God, that was a long time ago when I selected the my name. But um, so now there is somebody running around uh, do running a scam under my Twitter handle, but not on Twitter. Uh, they are on, on telegram. A couple of people actually like, I don't know, two or three people reached out to me yesterday afternoon, uh, said it was happening. I looked into it and sure enough, yeah, there's a, a guy running around, running a scam. What try it, it doesn't matter what the scam is. He's trying to ask you for your Bitcoin. Do not under any circumstances, Give that guy any of your Bitcoin. Don't do it. Just don't. Uh, I don't ask people. Uh, I, I don't tell people that I'm going to go trading on on leverage and then I, I, and then ask them to help me fund that trade. That's just stupid, okay? Nobody should be doing that. And everybody who gets a message, whether it's from uh, my Telegram doppelganger or not, that suggests that you give them your BTC. Uh, nope, nope, don't, don't do it. If you want to tip me and give me Satoshis, you can always find my tipping me page on my profile on my Twitter account, which is at B E N N D seven, seven, but under no circumstances, under no circumstances, do you part with your BTC? because some dude on telegram <laughs> says that they need to to do a trade just god please don't okay now we're getting into torchlight <clears throat> all right so yeah hodel did not uh tweeted out let's see when was this some uh early this morning 6 30 this morning he says the ln trust chain 2 torch just got stolen for the fourth time And for the fourth time, the person that sent it to the thief has decided to keep it going out of his own pocket. 
big love to Crypto 49ers. The torch is hard to extinguish, but more due diligence is needed on recipients. Yes. Oh, man. See, this is one of the things that, that you know, worries me about being a torch holder is like, God, who, who could I send it to? Because by now, <laughs> like all the people that I really trust have already held the torch once uh, this time around. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I may have to skip on this because honestly, man, that just, you know, that gives me the willies, dude. Uh, just the, the thought of, of giving it to somebody, but this time this one's even, even, uh, possibly no, it's possibly worse through this one guy. Um, this dude, uh, crypto 49er uh, or crypto 49ers apparently has had this torch stolen like at least twice. It's yeah. Like he sent it, he had the torch, he sent it to somebody. Um, let's see. It looks like C watcher BT was the first one to steal it. And then he refunded it and sent it to frat rad F R A T R A D another shit bag. And Fratrad then stole it. So for the third freaking time, Crypto 49ers <laughs> is, uh, has finally gotten the torch off. Uh, it looks like, let's see, hold on. Um, oh, I had that. Oh, good Lord, I've lost it. Hold on. Okay, yeah, I, I got it. I got it back. Uh, Crypto 49ers about 20 minutes ago says after a nightmare of 14 hours and two thefts by Frat Rad and Sea Watcher BT, the torch goes to at Stefan would go. That would be at Stefan would go all one word. Uh, Stefan, don't be a shit bag. Okay, that's going to do it for Torchlight. Vital statistics out of bidinfocharts.com. We have apparently erased our uh, our losses last week. We are back at 8,788. We got a high over at uh, HitBTC at, uh, no, I'm sorry. We've got a high over at Bit Asset at 8,847. Looks like our low is going to be... Mm, Going to be over at Simex at 8,767. Only 271,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours, bringing our average transactions per hour way down to 11,326. But 1 million BTC had been changed hands or had changed hands over that 24-hour period, with 45,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with an average transaction value of 4 BTC but only a median transaction value of 0.018 or about 150 bucks USD. Block times are high, 10 minutes, 31 seconds. 0.1 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and 14 BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24, or yeah, in fees over the last 24 hours. Hash rate took a precipitous nosedive, a 10% drop, but we're still at 105 exahashes per second, so I'm not worried. Uh, last commit to the Bitcoin repository was sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 170, Bcash is at 373, BSV is at 298, Litecoin is at 60, Ethereum Classic is at $10.55, y'all. 
Dogecoin has uh, crawled its way back to 0.0024. With 28,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it beats eh, Litecoin. That's its usual pummeling partner at this point. Uh, hash rate, I've got, I'm showing on my node a, a hash rate of 103 exahashes per second. I've got, wow, the mempool's packed, guys. There's 18 megabytes uh, representing 12,000 unconfirmed transactions. All of the blocks are full, like 99% full. Ooh, I've got one here that is 100% full. Uh, it has, let's see, what its, it's uh, complete size is 1.1. Oh, it's just, I'm sorry, it's, it's full with the weight at... Uh, its WU component is 3,998,762. Lightning, we've got 11,173 nodes. We have 36,000 channels, and we have 885 BTC in liquidity in the network. That's about $7.7 million. We had 13 new nodes come online in the past 24 hours, and 117 brand new channels come online, but that is actually a 25.95% drop over the last 24 hours in channel additions. That's going to do it for for, uh, your vitals. Morning Roundup starts off with... A very good piece about regulatory arbitrage, but not in the way you think. It's not directly about regulatory arbitrage. It's just an example of said arbitrage. Coindesk's Patty Baker writing sometime this morning, over 1,000 Bitcoin miners granted licenses in Iran. Iran is actively regulating cryptocurrency miners months after the government introduced a licensing regime. The Ministry of Industries, Mining and Trade has issued more than 1,000 permits to cryptocurrency miners, according to an official at the Iranian ICT Guild Organization, an industry body representing the country's computing sector. However, IIG's Amir Hossein Saeed Nahini said that although there are now licensed cryptocurrency mining operations in the country, the new regulations have not attracted much foreign investment, according to Financial Tribune report citing Ibina. Quote, our studies show that the crypto mining industry has the potential to add $8.5 billion to the economy, he said to local media. Quote, but most potential investors have left for neighboring countries because they offer incentives for crypto miners. Yes, sir. That's regulatory arbitrage defined in one single sentence. (laughs) Let me read that sentence again. Most potential investors have left for neighboring countries because they offer incentives for crypto miners. The Iranian mining industry has grown significantly in recent years with many operators attracted to the country because of state subsidized electricity tariffs. Some of the most popular online Iranian crypto mining channels have thousands of members. In 2019, the Iranian government proposed legislation that would officially recognize cryptocurrency mining as a legitimate business activity. Under a draft proposal, operators have to submit detailed information about their mining activities in return for a license that would need to be renewed on a yearly basis. The licensing regime 
which received formal approval from the Ministry of Industry, Mine, and Trade last summer, only applies to mining farms with equipment that consumes more than 30 kilowatts of electricity, shutting out smaller household operations. Prior to the licensing system, some mining operators told Coindesk they operated with a climate of fear as the penalties for noncompliance were high. (laughs) Can't imagine. Those caught were likely to face fines, the confiscation of their equipment, and even jail time. Some said they felt forced to consider moving to neighboring countries. Last June, officials confiscated more than 1,000 mining rigs from two operators after the government blamed a sudden 7% surge in electricity consumption on the mining industry. Yeah. So, uh, this is regulatory arbitrage. Uh, this is a really good example of it. If you are a country and you decide to just uh, over-regulate and there are places that have less regulation and are more open to whatever industry you're trying to get into, you very well may go there. And as we're seeing in Iran, people are. So eh. your loss is another country's gains. Uh, Coindesk's Patty Baker is also writing that, uh, let's see, when was this? This was January the 24th. Independent Reserve, one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in Australia, is expanding to Singapore. After an overwhelmingly positive response from the regulator, again, this is the second example of regulatory arbitrage. Adrian Przelonski, man, Prez. Prislonzi. Man, that is a duff one. Just call him Adrian. CEO and founder of Sydney-based exchange announced on Friday it had expanded its trading services to users in Singapore, saying in a statement that his team, quote, felt the time was right to make this move, end quote. Adrian referenced a number of positive moves by Singaporean regulators as part of his reasoning. Independent Reserve offers a host of retail and institutional trading features, including spot marketplace and over-the-counter service. The exchange introduced insurance coverage against theft or loss of digital assets held in a client's account in February of 2019. Established in 2013, Independent Reserve claims that it has more than 120,000 customers and 8,000 self-managed super funds, a private super attenuation of fund operated by its members and regulated by Australian law. Singapore adopted an open arms approach to cryptocurrency regulation when the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the country's de facto central bank and financial regulator, created a legal framework, the 2019 Payment Services Act, that effectively brought all cryptocurrency payment providers under its jurisdiction. The Payment Services Acts uh, Act was one of the main factors that influenced the Independent Reserve's decision decision to move to Singapore, according to Adrian. Quote, having worked closely with Australian regulators and as the only Australian exchange to have insurance on crypto assets, the response we've received so far from the Singapore market has been overwhelmingly positive, Adrian said. A number of other exchanges attracted to Singapore's regulatory regime also have expressed an interest in moving to the country. Binance announced plans to set up a new fiat crypto exchange in the country last year. A group of ex-Morgan Stanley bankers launched a crypto derivatives exchange in December after MAS published a proposal to regulate these types of financial products. New Singapore users will now have access to an institutional trading platform for cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin. And Ripple, Singaporean dollar trading pairs will be integrated into its platform and will operate as a wholly separate entity from the Australian-based platform, Independent Reserve confirmed. So yet another one where, you know, if you're, 
don't put yourself in a position to lose out countries because at one point or another, you're just going to regulate and regulate until somebody just gets their fill and they're going to take their football and they're going to go home. That's what's going to happen. Daily Hodel staff is writing sometime yesterday. NASDAQ is looking at Bitcoin futures, says CEO Adina Friedman. Adina Friedman, CEO of NASDAQ, the world's second largest Bitcoin, uh, sorry, the second largest stock exchange, confirms that the company is considering launching Bitcoin futures with an unnamed business partner. Quote, we have been working with the industry and with a great partner to look at whether or not it's the right thing for us to do. And I think that we're still evaluating that. We've been talking with the industry to say, uh, to say, is this something unique? We already have two Bitcoin futures out there. If you're going to create a product, you want to know that people are going to use it and use it differently than how it's being used today. The second thing is we'd have to self-certify as a futures exchange for this, and we would use our NFX license to do that, but we have to make sure from a risk management perspective, we are fully prepared. And those are the two things we're still working on, end quote, Adrian said in the the, uh, uh, or Adina said in the interview, uh, Friedman believes that the broader outlook will include cryptocurrencies. Quote, I would say our view is that digital currencies and cryptocurrencies will have a role in the global economy. The question is, will they mature to a state that really is used for the transfer of goods? But in the meantime, I think that there's certainly a lot of demand out there for that in indicative price and that ability to trade it. It's just a matter of can we create a construct that's unique enough and different from what's already there, end quote. The first euro-denominated Bitcoin exchange-traded note, Bitcoin Tracker EUR, was launched on NASDAQ Nordic in October of 2015. NASDAQ Nordic also trades an Ethereum ETN. As for a new product, Friedman's update is the latest in a series of confirmations. Bloomberg reported in November of 2018 that NASDAQ sources confirmed the company was looking into launching BTC futures. So everybody's piling into the futures game, I guess. Over 700 blockchain firms founded this month in China. Over 26,000 in operation. Adrian Smunsky writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Chinese entrepreneurs registered 714 blockchain firms in China this month, resulting in a total of 26,089 such companies operating in the country. God, this shit coinery. According to cryptocurrency data firm Longhash, on January the 26th, the total number of blockchain firms registered in China is 79,556, while 57,250. 57,257 Chinese blockchain firms also lost their legal status and had their licenses revoked. From 2009 to 17, the annual number of founded blockchain firms remains relatively static before a notable jump upward in 2018. While it remains to be seen whether funding remains stable for the remaining 11 months of 2020, if the average monthly rate of founded blockchain firms remains the same in January, China would see 8,565 new blockchain-related companies this year. As per the map below, and they show a map of China, uh, the lion's share, 28.5% of blockchain firms in China, are in the province of Guangdong, which is home to the major city of Shenzhen and shares a border with Hong Kong. Both of these cities are known for their tech hubs and innovatives to apply blockchain in civil administration and other aspects of municipal development. 
the data also reveals that over 46% of Chinese blockchain firms have no more than 5,000 won of registered capital. My God, <laughs> Jesus, a little, a little thin, which is equivalent to just under $721 U.S. Furthermore, 8.32% of the firms have been between 721 and 1,442 uh, dollars. 26% have been between 1442 and 7208 while 9.7% of the firms have $7,000, sorry, $7,208 or more. Oh my God. <laughs> this is terrible. Oh, this shit coinery. Oh, this apparent lack of capital in the Chinese blockchain space is in line with the results of a recent joint study by China's government-run financial information and media firm Xinhua and financial data platform Rhino Data. The study states that the investment and financing deals in these Chinese blockchain space dropped over 40% in 2019. As Cointelegraph reported in October of 2019, President, uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping called for the country to accelerate its adoption of blockchain technology after the announcement reports uh, suggested that blockchain technology was rapidly maturing in China as it is increasingly implemented in government projects. Jesus Christ, guys. $721 is your operating capital. <laughs> Yes, I bet there. I'll, I swear to God, I'll bet you there are Girl Scout stands. There, I mean, Girl Scout cookies are on sale right now as we speak, and I'll bet you, I have run across at least two of them that have more operating capital at their table, run by two fourteen-year-olds, than most of these things do in China. This is just, this just, guys, stop with the shit coinery. Don't put your money into this stuff, man. It's just ah. Uh, uh, Ay, ay, ay. Okay, now another cringe-worthy moment in the blockchain space. And I say blockchain tongue-in-cheek. Bitcoin gold hit by 51% attacks. $72,000 in cryptocurrency is double spent. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <clears throat> this is the next webs, David Canellis. Uh, he is writing, when did this come out? Uh, they, everybody puts their dates in a different place. Oh, there's no date. Malicious cryptocurrency miners took control of Bitcoin Gold's blockchain recently to double spend 72K worth of Bitcoin Gold. Bad actors assumed a majority of the network's processing power to reorganize the blockchain twice between Thursday and Friday last week. The first netted attackers 119 BTG and the second roughly 5,267 BTG. Uh, cryptocurrency developer James Lovejoy estimates the miner spent just $1,200 to perform each of these attacks based on prices from hash rate marketplace NiceHash. This marks the second time, second and third time, sorry, Bitcoin Gold has suffered such incidents in two years. Any entity that controls more than 51% of a blockchain's hash rate can decide what version of the blockchain is accepted or rejected by the network. It's not entirely 
true, but I, for our purposes, that it works. These scenarios also allow for double spending, attacks that initiate a transaction with intent to quickly reverse it by reorganizing the blockchain so that they can spend their original cryptocurrency again. What results is a third party accepting the original transaction, and the network returns the cryptocurrency spent to the attacker, essentially allowing their funds to be used twice. Hence the name double spending. Bitcoin fixes this. Sorry, that's me. With Bitcoin, a transaction is generally deemed legitimate once found six blocks deep in the blockchain. These particular 51% attackers performed reorganizations up to 16 blocks deep, seemingly in a bid to trick exchanges like Binance into paying out BTG destined to be double spent. Quote, we note that at the time of the attack on Binance, deposits of BTG were credited to one's account for trading after six confirmations and were available for withdrawals after 12 confirmations, said Lovejoy. A 14 or 15 block reorg would thus evade both of Binance's escrow periods, end quote. He then provided a screenshot showing that Binance had since increased their BTG withdrawal requirement to 20 confirmations. Good God. Hard Fork has reached out to the exchange to learn more about its response to the incident and will update this piece should we hear back. Two years ago, cryptocurrency exchange Bittrex chose to delist BTG after 51% attackers successfully double-spent $18 million worth of the cryptocurrency in similar fashion. Ethereum Classic also suffered a $1.1 million double-spend attack in January of last year. So let that be a lesson to you. This is why we Bitcoin. This doesn't happen in Bitcoin. So, I, I, and as uh, as Dergigi uh, had tweeted out that story and Dergigi got a hold of me uh, or tweeted back and said, what do you say? Uh, Dergigi says, I am still puzzled why this is not happening more frequently. Uh, little investment, huge payoff, and not necessarily immoral. I have a tendency to agree with my friend Dergigi on that one, I am surprised that it's not being uh, done on BCH and BSV, uh, quite frankly, plus all the other minor crap coins. But I, I think that that just may be an issue of, I was about to say liquidity, but that's not it. I mean, you, you to be able to double spend, you need to have not one, but two suckers willing to pick up bags of trash. So, yeah. <laughs> there there you go. Uh okay, now in in more cringeworthy news, the World Economic Foundation uh or uh, sorry, the World Economic Forum unveils global governance consortium for digital currencies. Uh they're writing a bill of rights, guys. A bill of rights for blockchain. Marie Juliet writing for Coin Telegraph sometime on the 24th says the World Economic Forum has created what it claims to be the first ever global consortium, sounds like Satoshi's roundtable to me, dedicated to designing a framework for the transnational governance of digital currencies, including stablecoins. A press release shared with the Cointelegraph on 20, January 24th reveals that the newly formed global consortium for digital currency governance will focus on the development of interoperable, transparent, and inclusive policy approaches to regulating the digital currency space and fostering public-private collaboration in both developed and emerging economies. 
The WEF says that the impetus for the consortium's creation is a recognition that well-designed global governance remains the key to realizing a much lauded promise of digital currencies to foster financial inclusion by extending access to, of financial services to un- and underbanked populations globally. I'm going to stop right there because you assholes could have done this shit at any time. You could have made financial inclusion available to everybody in the world at any time. Not at, okay, I'll I'm gonna back up on that one. Not at any time. But when you when you guys saw the amount of mobile phones being sold in Africa and third world shitholes, you should have been able to say, you know, I'll bet we could possibly include these people, and you didn't. It's not until Bitcoin crawled up your ass and laid a whole bunch of eggs that are going to hatch and eat you from the inside out. Did you finally figure that maybe you missed the boat? So you do what you always do. You try to make yourself look like somebody who knows what you're doing and that you have the power. But for the very first time in a long time in human history, you've got a lot more people than ever who sees through your bullshit and you're done. I'm sorry. I will be eating popcorn when those eggs hatch inside of your intestines. And I'm going to laugh when the alien pops out of your stomach, shrieks, and runs away. And I'll, I, I, I will bury you. I, I promise. You will, get, you will get a burial. Jesus, these people are just weird. The consortium will convene international or enterprises, traditional financial institutions, government representatives, technical experts, academics, international organizations, NGOs, which for the uninitiated means non-governmental organization, and members of the World Economic Forum's communities. Ugh. Alluding to the presently fragmented, fragmented state of do global digital currency regulation, the WEF says that it will focus on building trust and encourage innovative thinking on regulatory policies that can support public and private actors in the global digital currency space. Jesus, y'all need new copywriters. God, a host of profile figures have endorsed the initiative, including the governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, WEF founder and executive chairman Klaus Schwab, the senior minister and chairman of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, Tharman, and finance ministry officials and central bankers from Egypt and Bahrain. Neha Narula, director of digital currency initiative at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, has said that creating an inclusive, integrated global digital currency system requires dialogue across stakeholders, ranging from finance ministers and open source developers. Cryptocurrency industry members among them, consensus Joe Lubin, Calibra's David Marcus, and BitPay's Elizabeth, Elizabeth Rossello, have also pledged their support for the WEF consortium, the latter saying she hopes that shared expertise will help pave the way for a truly global policy recommendations. This week, uh, this week's WEF meeting at Davos has seen plenty of positive engagement with the present, present and future role of digital currencies in global finance. On the 22nd, the WEF and several major banks released a central bank digital currency policymaker toolkit tailored to fostering further study of three categories of CDBC development, retail, wholesale, and hybrid. Okay, so that's going to do it for that, but that's not going to do it for my commentary.
the entire piece is riddled with with whole paragraphs of corp of corp speak. It's it's just it's a pamphlet is what this is, and also what this particular story didn't uh, uh, didn't really get into was the the whole drafting of a cryptocurrency bill of rights by these individuals. And let me again to, to remind you these interv- these individuals are the following traditional finance institutions, government representatives, technical quote experts, academics, international organizations, non-governmental organizations, and member of the World Economic Forum's communities. What does that sound like? That sounds like everything we already have. And they already fucked all that up. We got one chance to get out of this. We really do. We've got a good a good smoking chance to be able to at least get enough people out that it's, you know, going to going to matter. I you know, will Bitcoin crush all this? I I don't know, man. This crap is so entrenched in the majority of humanity's brains that you know, this this is the scene in Matrix where Neo and Morpheus are walking down the street while they're in the training matrix. And Morpheus is trying to tell Neo that all none most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. Man, that is so true. It was true in that movie, and it was true uh outside of that movie before Bitcoin, and it is certainly true right now. We got the same crap stacking the same chips. For the same reason, in the same way, it's the same thing. It's just the same thing. And this is one, this is, I think this is one of the underlying reasons why the whole Sato- Nakamoto Roundtable or Satoshi's Roundtable or whatever that thing is that Bruce Fenton p- puts on every year, a couple of years ago came out with the whole Segwit 2X and you got six people in a room wearing fricking suits and gold watches that signed their name to a piece of paper that to the rest of us didn't mean dick. If the same thing happens here and I suspect, well, I suspect this is just a big nothing burger from the WEF. I think this is just them saying words and I can kind of tell because it's all corp speak. They just probably sent an email to some staffer or intern or whatever back in New York and said, Hey, uh, string a lot of shit together and make it sound like we know what we're doing and we'll read it over here at Davos and, and make it sound like, yeah, we're, that we're in control. Yeah, they're not, they're not in control. They will, n- <laughs> they're just not in control. Okay. Forbes, a new narrative is, is being birthed as of this morning. And, or I think maybe the first one came across last night, uh, financial times, ran a story and I, it said is, is the coronavirus good for Bitcoin? Or it might've actually said the coronavirus is good for Bitcoin. Either way, man, you want to talk about some backlash. I mean, that's, dude, there are people dying. This could end up being a worldwide pandemic like the Spanish flu. It may be also a big nothing burger. None, none of us know. We don't know because China's being tight-lipped about everything. The reports that are coming out seem to suggest that 14,000 people in China have been infected and like 300 or 400 have died, which by itself is not not good. <clears throat> Things that we're hearing is that it has a 14-day incubation period, but it actually can shed virus and infect other people during the incubation period, which is not the norm. 
there's I've heard numbers of 95,000 people being infected, but nobody knows. So everybody to stop peeing your diapers, okay? We don't know what the hell's going on here. But what we do know is that Financial Times writing an article that says something like coronavirus is good for Bitcoin, that was my first clue that a narrative was being birthed. My confirmation came this morning from our good people over at Forbes. That's right, Forbes. Clem Chambers uh, of the Intelligent Investing Contributing Group uh, says Bitcoin is a leading indicator of the coronavirus outbreak. Now, while that headline doesn't say that it's good for Bitcoin, it's still including Bitcoin in the narrative. That's how narratives are formed. Okay, so let's see what I can't read the Financial Times because I don't have a uh, subscription to it, and I never will ever give them a dime of my money, especially after after this. This is just ridiculous. But Forbes is saying, or or rather, for, uh, Clem Chambers writing for Forbes says, I have maintained for a long time now that China is a very significant driver of Bitcoin. I have also maintained that Bitcoin is a leading indicator of troubles in China because it is a safe haven asset and flight capital. I have repeated the assertion that you can't easily fly out of a country with cash or gold, and for countries with capital controls, BTC is the only way to get out of town with significant amounts of capital. Like it or not, the people are never the first to know when trouble is brewing. That is the whole reason, quote, insider information is illegal to act upon. The first to know in these emergency situations are the first to act. So if you were a rich Chinese person and you heard about this outbreak, what would you do? You would certainly consider packing the family off for a bit of a holiday. You might stick around to look after the business, but you would definitely get your loved ones out. You see this in the Riviera. The Russian oligarchs keep their families safe in France while they ply their trades in Moscow. Who would not want to do the same in that situation? However, you have to fund a long stay abroad, and the best way to go, unless you are very well prepared, is to grab some Bitcoin, because once you have those crypto wallet keys, the money is anywhere you want it. You might also buy it as a hedge against the worst. The coronavirus outbreak started in early December, so let's take a look at Bitcoin, and then he gives a Bitcoin price chart, of course, because T.A., Remember, we are not looking to the future. We are looking to the past, a past where things are happening before we know about them. Bitcoin's recent rally aligns with the assumption that Chinese demand for Bitcoin because of the coronavirus has driven the price. However, what are we looking for? We are looking for an early signal that things are going to blow over or get worse. And I believe you can look at Bitcoin as that temperature. <laughs> Jesus. As such, the chart suggests that situation is stabilizing, but of course it cannot predict the future, only the current situation. With the media screaming plague at the top of his toxic voice, the stock market could well take a tumble, but unless BTC shoots above 10000 and heads for the moon, I will be holding and looking to buy. I wrote a fiction novel about global plague called The First Horseman, so I am pre-sensitized to think the worst. But people on the ground will know what is really going on and will react like rational economic actors. If they think the game is up... The word will spread far faster than the infection in BTC as an instrument or is the instrument that will react sharply and send up the cell flare and have me pulling up my drawbridge. I think we are going we are going to get a buying opportunity in the market, not a global catastrophe, but that's simply a barely informed guess. Instead, I believe Bitcoin will provide an early <clears throat> excuse me, early warning of good or bad news. 
and we will have a reasonably clear picture one way or the other within 10 days. As such, I'm going to be watching the Bitcoin price like a hawk. Okay. No. I, it's not that I don't think Clem isn't right. It's just, dude, man, no. This you're 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 involving yourself into a narrative that's being wrapped up. Uh as as to why the narrative, well, it's always supposed to be bad for Bitcoin. You know, at one point or another, this narrative will be spun up. Uh, Clem may be right. Bitcoin heads to the moon. And then the narrative will, or the, the narrative will morph or mutate, as the pun intended, into the following. And that would be uh, Bitcoin caused coronavirus. I, dude, I, I know that sounds stupid. It sounds stupid. It, it is. It, it's a stupid statement to make. But somehow, some way, if we see above 10,000 and the coronavirus still, you know, keeps on going, somehow humans in their irrational ways of, of doing things will be able to point to Bitcoin as, as a possible cause somehow. Not that it, and they'll be, they'll be smart enough to know that Bitcoin can't directly cause a virus, but maybe things were not stopped in time because oligarchs saw it as a way to make a shit ton of money because they were feeding on fear and that fear was causing the Bitcoin price to spike. And oh my God, we're all Nazis. I would not put it past him, man. I, I really wouldn't. But shame on both Forbes and Financial Times for including Bitcoin into a narrative of the coronavirus. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. Say that all day long. Digital currency cannot be private, warns Bank of France governor. This is Decrypt.co's Daniel Phillips. Last Saturday, Francois Villori de Galhu, governor of the Bank of France, clarified his stance on crypto assets, joining the growing number of policymakers who believe that cryptocurrencies should only be issued by central banks. Although Villaroy acknowledges the potential utility of cryptocurrency in cash transactions, he does not believe that private entities should be at the helm. Quote, currency cannot be private. Money is a public good of sovereignty, said Villaroy. He further clarified his opinion in an interview with French news outlet France Inter, noting that cash usage has declined in many European nations and that digital alternatives could be a desirable alternative, particularly in Northern Europe. Quote, in some Northern European countries, notably Sweden and the Netherlands, the use of banknotes is falling extremely quickly. They are wondering whether we need to give citizens the right to digital money that is no longer a physical banknote, but which has the same quality, notably the security of a central bank, Villaroy told France Inter. Interest in the bank-backed cryptocurrency gained significant steam last year when Facebook announced plans to launch its own stablecoin known as Libra. Although there have been several stablecoins launched in the past, many of which are now in popular usage, none had such prominent backers as well as Facebook itself. The Libra Association included Coinbase, Lyft, Uber, and more upon its launch. Soon after Libra's launch, however, lawmakers, regulators, and government figureheads from around the world began pouring cold water on the project. German Finance Minister Olaf Scholz recently stating that we cannot accept a parallel uh, 
currency. His French counterpart, Bruno Le Maire, went a step further, flat out pledging to block the new cryptocurrency in Europe. Prominent members of the Libra Association have abandoned the project over the seven months, including likes of Visa, eBay, Stripe, and most recently Vodafone. Nonetheless, de Galhu claims that his statements are not a direct response to Libra, but instead a reaction to fast-evolving technology. Whatever the case, it may not be long until the first central bank-issued digital currencies make their appearance in Europe, and honestly, who gives a shit? Because you're just going to inflate the crap out of that like you're inflating everything else. And as long as you're in control of the ones and zeros or a physical printing press, all you guys do is make more of this crap, thereby destroying the the value of the people that saved before. And the, what are they saving? They're saving their time because they spent time, the shit that they'll never get back, making that money. And when you print more, you devalue that money, which means that you devalue all the people's time that came before the day you decided to print more. And in our case, in the U.S., that's every day with the Fed window. There, I mean, the, the repo market's going nuts. It's like $100 billion every time I look. Every week, it's like another $100 billion. After a while, you start... We've, I think, pretty sure we're already past QE1 and QE2 combined. I, I remember reading something about that to you guys. It doesn't matter if a, if a central bank issues a, some kind of currency, cryptocurrency. I mean, they already have digital currencies. That's what we, most of us use anyway. I, again, this is like the folks over at Davos and the World Economic Forum they're just in, they're trying to insert themselves into whatever space that they, they can find to make sure that they're somehow not forgotten and taken along this ride hoping to claw their way up to the engine and be in control and that's not what this is about it's never been about that it's been exactly the opposite it's to kick these sons of bitches off a train <laughs> not to let them crawl their way up to the engine and fire up the damn chambers <coughs> Ay, ay, ay. Okay. Venezuelan oil buyers are wary of Petro payments. <laughs> really? Brave New Coins. Alex Lilacher is writing sometime on the 25th of January. Venezuela's Petro digital currency remains mired in controversy. To add to the country's economic worries, some oil buyers have reportedly halted purchases in fear of violating U.S. sanctions. Since Venezuela's president, Nicolas Maduro, officially announced the Petro, it has been mired in controversy. To add to the country's economic worries and the bumpy Petro adoption, some oil buyers have reported halted purchasing in fear of violating U.S. sanctions. Oil is Venezuela's largest export good and one of the country's few economic lifelines. However, since the Venezuelan government announced that port fees have to be paid in the country's controversial digital currency, the Petro, some oil buyers have halted purchases. Over 1 million barrels of oil have been put on hold after the government announced the change in payment policy for specific maritime fees, according to a report by Bloomberg. In light of the U.S. sanctions against the use of petro cryptocurrency, some of Venezuela's oil customers have put the brakes on purchases. 
<laughs> Introduced in early 2018 to circumvent the United States sanctions that have hit the country's already shaken economy hard, uh, the government-issued digital coin is supposed to be backed by the country's oil and mineral reserves. I have ordered the emission of... W- of 100 million petros with the legal sustenance of Venezuela's certified and legalized oil wealth. Every petro will be equal in value to Venezuela's oil barrel, President Maduro stated. Now, I'm going to hold up and and stop and remind you guys that I was on on Friday, I was on This Week in Bitcoin with uh, Adam Meister, Dergigi, and Mauricio of Ledin. And Mauricio from Ledin reminded me that at first the the whole uh, narrative, because uh, I had said had said, mentioned that the the whole thing with the Petro was that it was backed by oil reserves that were in the ground. He reminded me that that narrative has changed a couple of times um, since that first release, and now it's any commodity that the government of Venezuela deems fit is going to be the backer of the Petro. But still, in this particular case, we still have the the original narrative going on that it is about um, their oil reserves. So (laughs) think about that. Those oil reserves, people, they're not easy to get to. It's really heavy oil. It's not easy to pull. Even if you get to it, it's not easy to pull out of the ground. All right. So anyway, uh, let's see. One over one hundred one million barrels of oil have been put on hold after the government announced the change in its payment policy. Okay. So, however, the government has never made the effort to prove that the value of the Petro is backed by anything. Instead, the government is focused on promoting the new digital currency with banners and other forms of advertising across the country. Sounds like a shit coin. The average person on the street, however, has reportedly not adopted the new digital currency and struggles to understand where to purchase it. International oil buyers generally use local shipping agents when dealing in Venezuela to handle port fees. Buyers would, therefore, not be directly involved with petro transactions. However, according to Bloomberg, at least one international company has included a clause in its contract with a local shipping agent preventing them from dealing in the new state-backed digital currency as a result of the U.S. sanctions. Most international oil buyers no longer pay Venezuela in cash. Instead, they either swap oil for other commodities such as diesel or gas, or they receive oil as payments for outstanding debts. President Maduro does not want to stop at port fees with his Petro adventure. Early this month, he told Venezuelan newspaper El Nacional, we will sell Venezuelan oil in exchange for Petros. We have already signed contracts for the sale of oil, steel, iron, and aluminum, and we will sell part of the gold for Petros. He also stated that the government has successfully introduced the digital currency into the lives of Venezuelan families, according to a report by TASS. In light of the severe lack of trust in the Maduro government and its digital currency, it is unlikely that the Petro will succeed as a currency for international trade. Nonetheless, it offers some interesting insight into how government-backed digital currencies could function in the real world. Uh, so that's it for that. But I'm, I'm going to actually also include in that last sentence how they can function in the real world or have a gun put to its head and have its brains blown out because that's what happened here. That this, this whole thing with um, this sentence right here, at least one international company has included a clause in its contract with the local shipping agent 
preventing them from dealing in the new state-backed digital currency. Okay, so it's not a contract with the government. Okay, it's a contract with the people that are in the middle, right? It's like private companies. So this international company has told this private company who's basically standing as the middleman to be able to get the oil onto the ship that they're they're just not going to allow them that private company to deal in in their country's new state mandated currency. That is a hell of a twist right there. And I of all the people that are just getting hosed to death by this entire thing is that guy in the middle. He's like, dude, these I can't do business with this company because they're telling me to, they're giving me the finger. I can't use the Petro. You guys are telling me I have to use the Petro. What the hell am I going to do? I expect a lot more of that shit to come. In fact, what I see is like a government like the United States will start putting pressure on private companies that are shipping oil to the, in turn put pressure in the form of contract clauses into into their contracts so that they're putting pressure on the private guys that stand in between the port and the government, in this case, of Venezuela. That's one hell of a workaround that doesn't include the United States Embassy or the State Department, right? That's this is this is weird. And honestly, I can't see how it's it's not possibly fascism if that actually occurs. I I don't like Maduro. I I I feel really bad for the Venezuelan people. But if the United States government tells a private company that's buying oil that they have to put these clauses in their contract where the people in Venezuela that are do, handling the port cannot deal in the petro, wow, that's different. Also, the other thing in here is the whole this whole commodities and this what what did he call what did he say backed by the uh, country's oil and mineral reserves quote I have ordered the emission of one hundred petros with the legal sustenance of Venezuela's certified and legalized oil wealth again hard oil to get a hold of they've got a lot of it it's there he's not lying. It's just how readily available is the oil to the Venezuelan drilling companies? Because last I heard, uh, they ain't doing so hot. And you need massive amounts of infrastructure to be able to pull this oil out of the ground. You need a lot of petroleum engineering know-how. You got There's a lot of firepower that goes behind getting that particular kind of oil out of the ground. So... I wouldn't be running to go buy the Petro anytime soon. (laughs) And this last one here, appetite for Bitcoin among institutional investors growing as Bax Futures delivery shoots up by 1600%. Oh, we, you know what? We already did that. I forgot. Yep. We already did that on Friday. Um, So, well, I guess that'll do it for Morning Roundup. All right, since we all apparently, according to the World Economic Forum and all the powers that be, are suffering under some kind of grand illusion, well, I figured we'd play that song from Sticks. (laughs) 
uh, today's daily train wreck, it, dude, guy, it was a toss up between Peter Risen and Gavin Andreessen, and Gavin Andreessen has one out on January the 25th. Gavin types. Satoshi might turn out to be wrong about this. In 10 years, BTC could be a niche coin for gold bugs with about the same transaction volume as today. The saddest thing about this tweet is the fact that Hive has him listed as number 10 for Bitcoin um, influencers. Number freaking 10. Uh, something's got to be done about that, dude. That's that's just that's just sad. Anyway, yeah, Gavin Andreessen, in case you don't know or forgot, he uh, hightailed it over to the CIA to give a talk about Bitcoin. And man, I mean, immediately after that, uh, Satoshi handed over the keys for uh, <laughs> for commit access and sayonara. And that was the last anybody ever saw him. And this kind of goes back to the human, you know, the human condition I was talking about earlier where we're just deluding, you know, people can delude themselves into all kinds of shit like the WEF actually matters. Uh, non-governmental organizations actually do things. Um, yeah, it's all pretty much a delusion. They do stuff is just not good for us. That's, <laughs> that's, that's where I'm getting at. Uh, but anybody, you know, th- this guy still thinks that he is going to, I don't know, do something to BTC, you know, to do something to Bitcoin. And why, I don't understand. I just don't get that. I really don't get the hatred. I, I don't. It, it just seems seems kind of counterproductive all the way around. Uh, but, you know, Gavin's going to, Gavin's going to Gavin. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile. All right, so dad says jokes yet again. Hi, I'm Buzz Aldrin, second person to step on the moon. Kneel before me. Get it? Neil Armstrong was the first out of the lunar module. Anyway, yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) So here we are. It's Monday, the beginning of yet another week. Another grand and glorious week. We shall see what what's going to happen. So, in the time that I've recorded this uh, episode, it is now ten fifty one Central Standard Time. I'm about to lock this up, but I figured I'll just go ahead and give you the price again. We got Bitcoin at eight thousand seven hundred and eighty five. So we've had an increase uh, since I started recording. You never can keep track of this price, man. It's just wow. What an insane thing. Anyway, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.